We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. And we are back with the Beach & Company. I'm Sandy Beach. Phil Arno is with us. Phil is the owner of WBBZ and has spent a lot of time in a helicopter over uh, L.A., and uh, we're, we're kind of trying to get a little clarity of what might have happened. Uh, it's educated uh, from us, and he, he is educating us. And this is the most information I've heard uh, of any of the interviews I saw on television, so I'm really glad you're here with us. Uh, you had a mishap over the Academy Awards one time in your helicopter. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, that was uh, in um, the year 2000. Uh, we were covering the Academy Awards uh, that was in the Shriner Auditorium, and it was uh, we were over the red carpet, uh, and the helicopter was uh, at 1,200 feet, and we were ready to go live. And the, the um, helicopter experienced a hydraulic failure, and it, it's almost like losing power steering in your car. And the it should that had happened. Uh, in helicopters uh, twice before when I was in helicopters. Uh, and it's it's a manageable emergency, that's what they call it. The, the pilots are trained to recognize it and handle it. And, you know, it's, it's difficult, but it's not uh, something that should be a problem. Uh, and like I said, it, it happened twice before in helicopters that I was in, and it, we went back and landed with no problem. Well, this particular time... Uh, it, again, it was at night. It was at 10 o'clock at night, and the, it happened suddenly, as it always does. Uh, and the pilot was a, a woman who was uh, probably 5 feet 2 inches tall and 90 pounds, and, and she didn't recognize what had happened. She, she at first thought it was an engine failure, and she didn't react properly, so she lost control, and the helicopter started spinning out of control. And we were losing altitude. Uh, and it, if you've ever seen any footage of helicopter crashes, when they start to spin mm. uh, and to go out of control, it's not a good thing. No. Uh, it, it doesn't have a good uh, result. And we, it, we were spinning out of control for what seemed like an eternity. And that's when you start thinking about things. Yeah. That's when you start thinking, this is not good. Not good. Not good. No, not good. And we lost probably 500 feet, maybe 600 feet. We went down to about 700 feet. Oh, man. And she finally got control of it. And uh, I asked her, the first words out of my mouth is, you want me to help you look for a place to land? Yeah. And she uh, was very shaken. And she said, no, I think I can make it back to the airport. Which and now I'm a pilot, and and my first instinct is get on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> get on the ground, and then figure things out. Yeah, uh, but she had enough to handle, and I didn't want to rattle her any more than she already was. So I said, okay, if there's anything I can do, let me know. You know, I can handle the radios for you. Whatever you want me to do. That's pretty calm for somebody that's descended that quickly. Well, <laughs> she she said, all right, let's let's you know go. Back to Van Nuys, which was another question mark in my mind because that was the farthest airport. 
Uh, Santa Monica was four miles away. Van Nuys was 15 miles away over the hills. Oh, really? Uh, even Burbank was closer. That was about 10 miles away. But uh, I wasn't going to argue with her. This was not the time to argue. And Larry Welk, Lawrence Welk III, who was uh, uh, flying the, uh, the Channel 2 helicopter, he had seen what happened. And he called her on the radio and asked her if she was okay, is there anything he could do? And he accompanied us in, in that helicopter handling the radio calls. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so we limped back. We went over the Hollywood Hills, and we limped back to uh, uh, Van Nuys. And she uh, n- now the normal procedure when you're in a situation like that in a helicopter, you want as much control of the helicopter as you can get and have and so you want air going over the tail to keep it going straight okay because there's enough torque to try and spin you around so you want to have that forward motion a normal helicopter you can hover but if you've got a problem you want forward motion so the the procedure for landing in that situation is to almost land like a fixed wing airplane and glide it onto the runway Uh, she didn't do that (laughs) she she went back to the parking area and she slowed to a hover. And, and I had told her, I said, okay, like, you know, just use the runway. She said, no, I, I'm going to use the taxiway. And I said, well, that's 10,000 feet also. So, okay, just glide it onto the taxiway and you know, do a nice run on yeah. landing and we'll be fine. Wow. And she got to the taxiway. She got to her parking spot and she stopped. And we were about three feet off of the ground. And as soon as she stopped forward momentum, the tail boom started to spin. Oh, man. And instead of dropping onto the ground from three feet, she pulled the collective and started to climb. And oh. she climbed out of control, oh, <laughs> spinning. Man. And we, we, we climbed up to about 120 feet out of control before she finally lost it and, and was totally out of control and, and it nosedived in from 120 feet. Oh, my word. <laughs> what were, uh, were you injured? Well, I was, uh, yeah, was I did injured? not have, in the back of the helicopter, they didn't have a shoulder harness. We had asked them for shoulder harnesses, but they said it was too expensive. Uh, it was $800 to put a shoulder oh, harness wow. in. Oh, wow. The, the, the pilot had a shoulder harness. She was well-equipped, and she got away with uh, – Injuries that put her in the hospital for six months. Oh, man. Uh, I was in the hospital for, well, she was out of work for six months. She was in the hospital for three weeks. I was in the hospital for a month, and I was uh, in a wheelchair for three years. For three years in a wheelchair? Yeah. Wow. After that, did you ever have any thoughts of getting back in a helicopter? uh, (laughs) For any reason? I, uh... I haven't gotten into a helicopter, but I, I would I would do that again. Um, wow! I, it, it, the biggest takeaway from that is being able to trust somebody else in control. Yeah, that's the that's when I'm flying myself around in my airplane, I have no problems flying. Even in, in an airliner, I get into an airliner and I have second thoughts because there's somebody else in control. Yeah, surely. Yeah. Now, do you get any say at all as to who your pilot is? When you're doing it on a regular day-by-day basis? Not normally. Uh, when I was doing that, uh, you know, I had my favorite pilots uh, that I trusted and knew, uh, but you really didn't have. Whoever was assigned 
to take you up. I know a lot of the uh, guys in Vietnam that uh, flew helicopters came into commercial aviation yeah. and stuff. You'd trust them. Nobody's shooting yeah. at you. Yeah, yeah. All right, can you stay one more segment? Uh, sure. Okay. You know what you should do on hmm. BBC? You should put this in a presentation. Put it in a program because it's very interesting stuff. There's a lot. Well, after 40 years of covering news, there's a lot of stories. Wow. You could have ended up on the red carpet, Phil. <laughs> they, that they, isn't they, the way you The Academy sent us a thank you note for not crash, <laughs> crashing on their carpet. <laughs> we'll be back with more with Phil Arno on News Radio 930 WBN. I just have a cold. Don't worry about it. I got it yesterday. I actually got it Saturday. I've been babying myself. Phil Arno is with us. Phil owns uh, WBBZ, uh, one of uh, I, one of my favorite places. It's must see TV. I love those uh, those shows that are on there. Uh, and uh, he was in a uh, he was in a helicopter many many hours uh, right in the same areas of uh, of L.A. All all very very hilly. I asked you uh, while we we're off the air if he was flying on instruments. Do instruments show you hills and uh, dangers around you like that for as far as the height? In in the last. Uh 10 or 12 years, the avionics in, in aircraft have, have improved so much. Uh, it, it's like a, a moving map in your car. The, the map in display in the helicopter or in an aircraft will show terrain, and if it, it allows for your altitude. It knows what altitude you're at, and it knows the terrain that's around you. So if you're at the same altitude as the terrain, It'll show the terrain around you as being red, and that—that's a warning. You know, you're you're going towards hard, solid ground. Okay, you have to climb. Right. If you're near the terrain, it's going to be yellow, and if you're safe and above the terrain, it's going to show it as green. Now, I can't imagine. I'm not familiar with with the instrument panel as it was yesterday in that aircraft, but I cannot imagine. An aircraft that sophisticated that didn't have a moving map that showed terrain awareness—it uh, just—it would be—it would just blow my mind that he didn't have that aware. And maybe it's too simplistic a question, and pardon me if it is, but if I were a pilot, I would just try and find the highest terrain from between me and my where I'm going, and just fly above that. Well, that would put you in the clouds, though, and, oh, and that was that, that would have been illegal. And so that's why you. Oh, I didn't know that. <clears throat> oh, that's why they're low, is because he's trying to skirt. Un- they call it scud running. He's trying to skirt under those clouds, and that, as long as he has visibility, it's legal. And some pilots, you know, they kind of push the edge. You know, they're they're in and out of the clouds as long as you're going slow enough. You can kind of get away with it because you're you're. Losing visibility for a second here and a second there, you kind of go through it. And you, but if you're going too fast, you lose that visibility, and then you come out and you're going too fast. You can't stop. Oh man! You know, so it's a very dangerous thing to scud run uh, under the circumstances. Of something will there will be a tower in front of you or something that you're wow. not familiar with. Um, so you're really, you know, pushing the edge. Remind me not to become a pilot. <laughs> Here's one thing I don't well, know. Pi- there are bold pilots and yeah, there are old pilots. There, there are no old, bold, old, old pilots. pilots yes. I, uh, I, will, I listened to the conversation online between the tower and the helicopter. First of all, I could never be a pilot because I can't understand the thing they say. They print it so you can read it, but uh, they, they speak fast and some of them have accents and 
You know, you might misinterpret something. You don't want to be a fool and have to keep asking them to repeat it. Well, again, you don't want to waste the controller's time, especially in a place like Los Angeles. I flew out of Van Nuys for for many years, and that's the the, the busiest general aviation airport in the world. Okay, So you don't want to waste their time by fumbling around with words on on the radio. So you kind of – it's almost like a, a, a – a language that's ordered so that you tell them the who, what, why, and where. When I call, I'm in the parking spot, and I want to take off and go to what some destination. I will call the tower or the ground control, and I will tell them this is 7840 Yankee at the West End, taxi for takeoff with Alpha. Okay, that tells them who I am, where I am, that I want to taxi t- to the active runway for takeoff, and that I have Alpha, which is the airport information, which tells me what's the active runway, what's the weather, and what's the traffic pattern. And in, in, in that short burst that I you know, mentioned, they have everything that they need to know wow. that I have done what I need to do to prepare to take off. Wow. We recently had a, uh, a fatality with Mark Crochet, well-known entrepreneur in Buffalo, and I thought at first when I saw his helicopter, that was a long trip to take on a helicopter like that. But you're telling me that's a really good helicopter, and it's uh, and it's a good one to travel in. Yeah, that's a. It was a Robinson R66. That's a. It's a, a turbine helicopter. I've been in the Robinson plant down in Hawthorne. Uh, they started out making very inexpensive two-seaters, and then they built uh, that company up, and they went to an R44, which is a four-seater. And his helicopter was a 66, which is the same as the 44, only it was a turbine helicopter, a jet, in other words. The, and it was very slick. It was the top of the line, very comfortable, quiet helicopter. Uh, and, and being a turbine... Those engines are extremely reliable. I mean, they don't quit. They just they're very simple, and they're powerful. They're light, and so he had the best. I mean, that was a very good helicopter. And if you're going to travel in a helicopter, that's what you want to do. You want to be in that. If suddenly you found in your driveway a big pile of money, and it said on it, uh, "Congratulations, buy yourself a nice helicopter for WBBZ." Uh, so expense was not uh, not an issue. What would you buy? Well, that, that's a Korsky 76. That's a nice helicopter. Yeah, or an Augusta. You know, there's a, there's a lot of nice helicopters out there. But if big I was... Big money. Big yeah, money. Oh, those are very big money. The uh, the Robinson uh, that that, uh, that Mark had uh, is on the lower end in terms of expense. That's one of the Cadillacs of helicopters. How much harder is it? I assume it's harder. Uh, to a fly helicopter. Well, I've got about uh, 3,000 hours in fixed wing and a commercial license and an oh, instrument geez. license. Uh, but in helicopters, I've got maybe 15 or 20 hours. Yeah. And, I, and there's a reason for that, because helicopters are not a natural flying machine. No. You have to pay attention to helicopters 100% of like the time. Like a motorcycle, where you've got both hands and both yeah, feet working. You can't, you're not going to take your, your mind off of flying with a helicopter. I mean, with my very first lesson in, a, in an aircraft, in a fixed wing, the instructor looked at me and he said, okay, take your hands off of the wheel, off of the, the control yoke, and just sit there with your arms crossed and your legs on, flat on the, on the floor. And he did the same thing. And we were sitting there, and the plane was trimmed and flying itself. 
Now, and then he said, okay, now lean forward. And we both leaned forward, and then the nose went down. And he said, okay, and, and it started to go down. And then he said, okay, now lean back. And we both leaned back, back, and the nose came back up, and it was flying level again. And it's a very natural flying machine, okay? With a helicopter, you can't do that. No. <laughs> you cannot do that. With, with a helicopter, you have to concentrate uh, and it, if they don't have dampeners, it's a, it vibrates a lot. That's why it was so hard to take pictures out of a helicopter. It just it's like a being an egg beater. <laughs> it just vibrates tremendously, and uh, it's just not a fun aircraft to fly. Uh, it's it's very versatile. You could do a lot with it, but it's just not fun. One final uh, question. Let's see. We got only a couple of minutes left. This is great, though, Phil. It's real. It's really really good. Uh, when would you use an auto rotation? I've explained before on the air about what an auto rotation is. So, uh, assuming some people remember what I said, when would you use that? How far? Uh, how high would you have to be? And well, there's these. There's a, a, a an arc that they have in the instruction manual that tells you if you're if you've got forward momentum and altitude, it all goes into the calculation. If you've got forward momentum. Then you've got air going through the rotors right. in one way, and so you've got more leeway. You've got more energy, if you will, to use. And it's all energy going through those rotors. The more altitude you have, the more energy you can use because there's gonna, as you go down, there's air going through those rotors. And as long as you keep, keep that rotor going around, that's the energy that's going to keep you f- from go- hitting hard. And generally... When would you pull that uh, whatever you have to pull? The collective. Okay, yeah. when would you have to pull? How far above the ground would you be normally? For, fairly you? low, fairly yeah. low, because then you, that's just, just that's the final you know, cushion to, oh, to, wow. to keep you from hitting hard. Oh, man. Hey, Phil, I cannot tell you how much uh, I learned, and I'm sure my, my audience did too. I implore you to put together a panel on WBBZ and do the same thing we're doing, except with more people. Well, I, I, I'd like you to come on my show sometime. And, and, and Phil, people will think you're smart. <laughs> because you yeah. are. I did, right. I did not know. Wow, it blew me away. <laughs> we'll be back uh, after uh, the break on News Radio 930. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. WBN. Wow, that was a very interesting and informative uh, uh, hour with Phil Arno, who uh, owns WBBZ. And when he talked about that uh, that hydraulic failure right over the red carpet, uh, the Academy Awards, got down to, like, what did he say, 300 feet above it? 
That's uh, that's pretty close. And uh, I did not know he spent three years in a wheelchair. Uh, but uh, thanks to him uh, for giving us an, a good, really good hour. I think we learned a lot in that hour, much more than television had. I felt so bad on Fox last night for Arnell Neville. She was on when the uh, uh, when the accident occurred to Kobe Bryant, and she had Jim Gray on. And Jim Gray is a personal friend, so Jim Gray was very, very um, unsettled. Uh, it was very emotional for him, and she uh, she knew certainly who Kobe Bryant was, but she didn't have a lot of questions that. He, uh, he carried it for a while, and then they went to the local Fox reporter on the scene. Uh, but uh, not an easy story to cover because they, they didn't have much. At, at first, they thought it was five people. And later, when the uh, sheriff had his press conference, said it was nine. 803-0930-1800-616-9236, star 930. How do you deal with the death of a loved one? And it can be somebody in your family or even somebody you just admire that has entertained you or informed you. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll put in um, examples of uh, deaths that just rocked the world, or at least uh, the country. I will put my first one in for uh, Lady Diana uh, when uh, Diana was killed. She was killed while the press was hunting her down through a, a traffic tunnel. Disgusting. It was really disgusting. And uh, the reason I remember even when it was is that I had accepted a job to come back to Buffalo, this job, okay? And um, my, everything in my house was in boxes because the movers were coming the next day. I didn't have anything that wasn't boxed up or, or packaged up and uh, uh, just a uh, very difficult time. Now let's go to the phone. This is Joan in Buffalo. Joan, you're on WBEN. Whoops. Joan was there. Joan was there for the whole time, and now let's try it again. I am okay. Here. Hi, Joan uh, in Buffalo. You're on WBEN. Yeah, thank you, uh, Sandy, for covering this topic. And I don't know how cogent I'm going to be, just because um, you know it's a difficult uh, subject, but I think important. How do you deal with the death of a loved one? Not well. Not well. And um, I appreciate your comment quote, unquote, you never get over it. Because as time passes, people assume that you do. Yeah. And there's no there's no limit. When, uh, you know, is there two years, three years, five years? Yeah. There's no limit at all. Yeah. It's in your mind. I want to share a few things with you, Sandy, if I can. Because sure. It's just a really good opportunity. It's been very comforting uh, to me to have uh, you have brought up this topic. But, um, yeah, as I said, I don't deal with death too well. And, of course, for a lot of us, our parents are the first people to make their transition. But I had a partner, Don, of 33 years. We were soulmates, and whenever a member of either one of our families passed on, we were able to console and support each other. But the most difficult thing for me was in uh, 2014, uh, Don passed on, and it was surreal for me. It really was. How I dealt with it is I initially went to a grief counseling group. That didn't help me, but what I did is I went to a grief counselor 
a psychologist. Okay. Okay, so in 2014, Don passed on. Uh, in 2015, less than a year later, the father of my boys passed on. And we um, were, you know, my boys' dad and I were good friends. We talk on the phone at least every day. And then four days later, uh, a friend of mine that I had known since eighth grade passed on. So that was the beginning of a series of eight deaths. And uh, when you went to the uh, to the counselor after Don passed, uh, how helpful was the counselor in, in the comforting you? He was wonderful. I would love to mention his name. He was exactly my age. He knew both Don and I. We would do things like mindfulness to help me. He was a very spiritual person. But then what happened? He was my age. He passed on also. Oh, my goodness. It was was really, really, really tough. But the other thing I want to mention in terms of this helicopter accident. Of course, you mentioned Mark Croce, and now the latest one. Um, My son was a 20-year Marine veteran and flew a Cobra. Oh, really? Wow. As a Marine, and uh, he was deployed five times in Iraq. And, um, you know, during his career, he lost several of his friends, uh, some of them in training for helicopters. But the main thing is that um, being a helicopter pilot, a Cobra pilot, uh, as I said, five deployments to Iraq, that's a tough area because of the sand, the winds, everything else that makes maintaining those helicopters very, very difficult. Yeah, we talked about that. The maintenance on a helicopter is very, very stringent. I mean, they have to replace things. It's almost like a new helicopter every time you uh, fire it up. I know it. I know. And I guess the thing is, every time a helicopter goes down, I'm upset. But thank God, and I feel for these families, Mark Croce and... uh, you know, uh, anybody that, that loses someone for anything. Uh, but I thank God that my son is still alive. I feel so badly, too, for uh, the wife of uh, of Kobe Bryant uh, losing her husband and her daughter at the same time I, and still having little children at home. I can't even imagine that i i really really can't because you know the losses i've had you know the one thing i say at least i didn't lose a child you know losing a partner husband that type of thing is very very difficult and i always used to say to myself well at least it is not a child but uh sandy i want to thank you for your sensitivity and again the quote you never get over because people just assume that you do. No, you don't, and I'm glad you called. Thank you so much, uh, Joan. We'll be back with more after this. Let me see. We got a text here. It says Sandy. Let's see. Oh, it's already. I'm past that. All right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, when the helicopter fell about 80 feet, uh, Arno says his left leg was shattered in about 36 pieces. He endured nine operations on it was in a wheelchair for three years. He told me that. I did not know that. And initially lost two inches from one leg. 
One and a half inches have since returned with therapy. Did you uh, did you know that? I, no, I, was I not did not aware know that. that. And uh, he was just here. Great hour. What a great hour to Fantastic. learn about helicopters from a guy who's done a lot of it in the same place as the accident. Let's go to uh, Michael in East Amherst. Michael, you're on WBEN. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I uh, I called to uh, to give some uh, experience. I lost an infant son, and a few years later, my wife passed away from cancer. And the only thing that kept me going was I had to raise the rest of my children. And I kept telling myself, life is for the living. Well, tasks are very important if you go to work or, like you said, raise the other children. For uh, that brief time, it takes your mind to the task, and uh, and you can breathe a little bit. Later on, you can breathe a little bit more, but uh, you never get over it. No, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of them. But life is for the living, and that's what I told my children, too. Well, especially for an infant, uh, it's tough to lose anybody or even somebody you know. But for an infant and and then later your wife, uh, you had to be a very strong person. Well, I had kids to raise. What can I say? And I'm glad you did it. And obviously uh, that you, you were in, uh, in charge of the task. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Yeah, see, very difficult, especially an infant. Wow. Wow. Let's go to uh, Jed in Florida. Jed, you're on WBEN. Good morning, Sandy. Hello, Jed. Uh, what do you have for us today? Well, I have a little experience. I uh, had taught death and dying, which I changed the name of the course to Life and Living <laughs> at Kenesha's for 20-some years. And oh, really? Okay. Funeral director for 40 years, so I've come through lots of different things. There are certain strategies that definitely are meaningful and helpful. Of course, depending on the suddenness, the expectation, and how close we are to the individual who passes, very, very significant. Well, I'll say this before you even tell us. A funeral director offers great comfort. I know that's their job, but they seem to be very, very good at calming and making de- – you have to make decisions. It's a, it's a very tough job every day to get up and go to work, but they're very helpful. Go ahead. Well, I thank you. I thank you very much. The secret to that is to uh, to rest and relax when you're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. One concept that I've had success with is change your thoughts, change your world. You're able to deal with difficult things, and acceptance is just not possible. We learn to tolerate, and it does continue forever. It comes and goes in stages, but you're so accurate in terms of we need to get back to work we need to be doing things that are positive in a regular sense quickly. Yeah, if you do, at least you get some time away from it. Uh, it can get so debilitating that you can barely draw a breath. But you've got to get away from that uh, as best you can. I mean, you, have to, you can accept some of it, but you can't let it overwhelm you. Exactly. I find there's a ratio. The more faith, the more family, and the more friends in terms of activity, the healthier the relationship generally is. And getting back to a business of tolerating this loss and putting it in the right perspective is, is extremely valuable. As a counselor, I'm interested to know, uh, when I went through, especially with Cindy, who I was with for 17 years, died of leukemia, uh, 
I was thinking irrational thoughts be, to comfort myself, to uh, thoughts that, as I look at now, obviously are not even rational. Uh, so uh, you can't really worry that, uh, that maybe your mind is playing a trick on you or something. I think all kinds of things come to you after a loss that you've never had to deal with before. You're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, there's a term for that. In the counseling world, we call it the crazies. And you go through a situation where your thoughts are just not at all in the normal concept of what you're used to dealing with. And uh, accepting that, getting used to that, and carrying on with those thoughts in a positive way and turning them to think in terms of positive memories, good things. I say to people, you need a toolbox of great memories to focus back on. And you become desperate. Uh, now, uh, one caller a couple callers ago had other children to raise, and, and that was a blessing, a secondary blessing, that uh, that's a task he had to do and wanted to do, and while he was doing that, maybe gave him a little comfort. Absolutely. No, no question. That was very well said. And he said it in a, in a very positive way, having lost a child and then his wife and then having to raise the other children. That, uh, again, it's a, a, those are mixed blessings in terms of all the work involved and the decisions and so on. Now, and, and then you've got to face decisions like clothes in the closet and, uh, and donations to charities and, and whatever and, and going through the legalities of a death. Uh, there's a lot to do when somebody passes, a lot of decisions to make. Uh, you know, when you hear commercials about preparation for death, you kind of don't want to get involved with it because you think it's, uh, it's not going to happen to you for a long time. And then you're happy if you did because making decisions then is very difficult. Precisely. And most people find relief when those prearrangements are put into place. Um, and of course, in most death circumstances, there's an anticipation that's expected, and there's a plan. And in this day and age, one of the biggest things that's changed the whole profession is the evidence of hospice and the, the quality care that people receive and have. And their, their last days are, in many instances, put into a much more acceptable set of circumstances. Is, uh, is sudden death harder to deal with than uh, an expected death? Yes, yes. All death is tough. Yeah. All loss and separation is tough, but the more sudden it is, the more tragic it is, the more tough it is, because we are so blindsided and surprised by it as a, as a regular result. I have always said, well before I had any uh, close uh, uh, people very close to me dying, I've always said, if you have something to say to someone, say it. Don't hold it, because if suddenly uh, they're taken from you, that's one of the things that will haunt you. I always wanted to tell her this, and you didn't. You could have, and you didn't. Uh, say it. Uh, if, uh, when, when it comes to you, say it, and don't leave anything unsaid. You're, you're absolutely right. It's very perceptive. And I think we, we, we tend to waste time. Time is, life and living is so important, and our relationships are so valuable it, that it's necessary to complete those thoughts on a regular basis so we don't regret anything at another time. You're very perceptive in that regard, for sure. Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, obviously, you are very good at what you do. Uh, as uh, did, Are people generally receptive to what you have to say? Generally, yes, very much so. Very, very much so. And uh, I, I see people recover in a very positive sense over the right time frame. Some families are much better at this than others. It's, and I see that level of faith has a lot to do with it, too. 
I, I think that's very, very important. Well, thank you, Jed. We really appreciate your, your expertise. Thank you very much. All right, we'll be back after this. Uh, what do we got? We got a cash code word. The word for this hour, it's 11 o'clock, right, is FACT, F-A-C-T, text FACT, F-A-C-T, to 72881. You might win $1,000 in cash, and that's a fact. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 